Well, good morning, everybody. Well, January is the time for resolutions, so I can't think of anybody better than Jim Gaffigan to encourage us with some resolutions. Take a look at Jim. Year has flown by. I don't want to brag, but I've kept my New Year's resolution. I've done it. I've had pasta every day this year. <laughs> Thank you. I, I tell you, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. There were some nights when I was like, oh my gosh, it's 11.30. I haven't eaten pasta. I have to wake my wife up and have her make me some. Yeah. <laughs> well, he goes on after that that you got to listen to. Well, the goals you saw in the video before the teaching started just a moment ago is the church's resolution. And uh, those are what we're going to look at for the next four weeks, including this week. And we all know the temporary nature of resolutions. Mark Twain said, now is the accepted time to make your regular annual good resolutions. Next week, you can begin paving hell with them as usual. <laughs> yeah, temporary. Denise and I yesterday afternoon talked about, uh, yeah, I think we're going to go uh, a dry January. And uh, it's just something that maybe for our, uh, my health and that kind of a thing. And uh, four hours later at 6 o'clock, we were having a glass of wine with our pizza. <laughs> so it was good for four hours. But with your help, you can help us uh, keep these four resolutions, uh, not just this month, but throughout the year. So this morning, we're going to take a look at the first of our goals, our resolutions. And that is we're wanting to invest in our kids' venue this year because we believe that kids really do shape the future, as Whitney Houston's song so very clearly stated. And other people have stated this as well. Children are the world's most valuable resource and its best hope for the future, said President Kennedy. Author Ray Merritt said, Old men make war, but it is children who make history. Nelson Mandela such a wise individual went through so much, says in every child there is a potential to change the world. And then back in 1981, there was a, uh, uh, a policy put out by the promotion of child health, said children are one-third of our pop population, but they are all of our future. And then there's this story recorded by uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke about the life of Jesus. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God, like a little child, will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and bless them. Take a quick look at those verses. What phrase or concept seems to stand out to you? Go ahead. Feel free to shout that out if you will. Let the little children come to me. Exactly. Good insight. It was not, John, the, the typical... Uh, guys uh, in Jesus' day, the bad guys, the Pharisees, but the good guys. The, that says a lot about us, doesn't it? Anything else jump out at y'all? Indignant. Jesus, that is a strong word. 
indignant is the uh, biblical version of pissed off. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus was pissed off, okay? I heard something over here. The kingdom of God, this, this rule of God, uh, of peace and of fairness and of kindness uh, is seen in children. Yeah. He did bless them. Yeah. He embraced the children. Such a beautiful thought, beautiful story. So many principles I think we can get from that passage. One is we do not make the rules about who comes to Jesus, but Jesus does. Religion really does like to separate the population between those who are in and those who are out, us versus them. And the disciples thought they knew who was out and who was in, but they didn't, and we don't either. Maybe we should not impose our views on Jesus. Another principle I learned from this is that God values the vulnerable. Keep in mind that children in Jesus' day had zero status. There was a letter from a Roman soldier from this time period that he wrote to his pregnant wife. In that letter, he said, when the child is born, if it is a boy, keep it. If it is a girl, drown it. Jesus values kids so much that he got mad, indignant, when others did not value the children. Maybe we ought to get mad when kids aren't valued. Maybe we ought to get mad when kids go hungry, when kids are neglected and abused. Maybe we ought to get mad when kids are victims of war. Over 10,000 infants and children have been killed in the war in Gaza. Do we hear those things and read those things and has it become just so daily that we no longer feel? Maybe we need a good dose of anger. Maybe we would all be better served if we got pissed off. I love Walt Disney. I've never been to Disney World. That's got to be a bucket list item sometimes. Well, I take that back. I went to Disneyland when I was two. I don't remember a lot about that. Both my study of scripture, he says, and my career in entertaining children have taught me to cherish them. In this story that told by Mark and also told by Matthew and Luke, the, uh, the adults were the obstacles to the children. Well, Kansas City Chiefs fans got some coal in their stocking when the Raiders beat the Chiefs on Christmas Day. I know, I did that just for you. That was a great present for you, wasn't it? Yeah. How much hate did you feel that day? A lot, I bet. But we love you. We do, we love you. And we think about that. Uh, you know, one of the Raiders' scores was a pick six from Jack Jones. And when Jack Jones crossed the line at her, after intercepting Mahomes, he walked over to the stands and handed the ball to a kid in the front row. 
And you'll see him doing that there. That little boy was sitting by his sister who was holding this sign. Go, Taylor's boyfriend. <laughs> you got to love that. Taylor put Kelsey on the map, didn't she? Well, the mom of this little kid who was handed this ball by Jack Jones told the story on her Facebook page. When the Las Vegas Raiders' Jack Jones intercepted a Mahomes pass for a pick six, Jones looked at the fans lining the end zone and made eye contact with Logan. Jones was grinning at him as he jogged up. He went out of his way to find a kid. As a mom, all I could do was smile. You forget about the rivalry in that moment. You forget about the Raider-hater chance you grew up with. You even forget that your beloved Chiefs are losing and the opposing team just scored on a turnover. All you see is the moment through your kid's eyes. This is going to mean the world to him. And it would have, except Jack Jones took the ball back. Now, why did he do that? Yes, I think it's because he's a Raider. <laughs> Haven't the Raiders, when they were in Oakland, always liked that? Well, Mom went on to explain in her Facebook post. <clears throat> Jones tried to give Logan the ball and pulled it back when the guy behind me started swatting and cursing. Logan was, of course, devastated. I was, of course, so bummed for him and beyond annoyed that an adult ruined this moment. Well, if you look at the film, you will notice, as the mom wrote, that there was a dude on my back trying to snatch the ball. Jack Jones pulled the ball back away from Logan when an adult tried to interfere. So we got a common theme here. Raiders are nice. That is very true. There's one Raider is nice, at least. <laughs> the common theme is the role of adults. Adults kept the children away from the blessing in Judea. An adult kept a child, Logan, from a blessing in Kansas City. And I wonder how many adults in churches have kept children from blessings. Many of us have grown up in Sunday school, gathered around a flannel graph, listening to a well-meaning teacher tell stories about David and Goliath and Jonah and the whale and uh, Noah's Ark, because what six-year-old does not enjoy a good yarn about God drowning babies? Just a beautiful child story, that is. I look back on my Sunday school years with the Bible stories, with crayons and cookies and cotton balls and uh, Bible verses and prayers and pipe cleaner sticks with a lot of fondness. But I also remember that some of the concepts that I was taught in Sunday school today cause me discomfort. And they may, to you, cause some trauma. So how do those of us who grow, grew up in evangelical churches 
and suffer some damaging effects from that evangelical theology, do the very delicate dance of parenting and teaching our children the love of God without transferring to our children some concepts that are problematic to us and even traumatic to us. You may be asking this question. I have left fundamentalism. So how do I raise my children differently than how I was raised? So much of what we see in Sunday school and learned in Sunday school, I did anyway, was fear-driven. I was raised fear of sin. I did not want to do anything wrong because I was afraid of God. God would be mad at me, maybe even worse, God would be disappointed in me. And I was afraid of doing anything that was considered sin. Afraid of being judged unworthy. Fear of my dad's belt. Fear of the eternal torture of hell. Fear of being left behind at the rapture. Fear of the other. Fear of anybody who was not in my very tight religious circle. You know, if we are truly honest with ourselves, we plant fear in our children's hearts because we have not uprooted that fear from our own hearts. We want our children to be saved because we are so afraid of what might happen to them if they're not. And so we push because of what we've been taught about eternal destiny. You know, once you begin a relationship with God based on fear, it is really hard to move away from that image of a punitive God. And if you begin a relationship with God based on fear, you, you, you have a dilemma. That image of God that we were given as children is powerful, and it stays in us and with us. It's projected through us. And we don't want to transfer, I don't think, that same image of God to our children, but we don't know what else to do. Well, in the venues, kids ministry that we call kids venues, we are committed to helping our children be different and do different and experience something different than what we learned. We want to help our kids be love-driven instead of fear-driven, to help them operate from a center of love instead of a center of fear because it's our understanding that fear destroys the world and only love can transform it. In Kids Venue, we want our kids to be safe, to have fun, and to have a meaningful experience. We want our kids to be safe physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And we do everything that is required and beyond to make sure those things happen. When I was seven years old, we were, my mother and dad and I, were pulling into the driveway of the parsonage at First Baptist Church in Poplar Bluff, Missouri, where my dad was pastor. 
<clears throat> I was sitting in the back seat, and I leaned my arms up onto the back of the front seat. We had no seat belts in those days, so you could move around pretty easily. And as I leaned my arms up on the front, back of the front seat where mother and dad were, I told mom and dad that I wanted to be baptized. And dad turned and looked at me and asked the question, Philip, are you lost? And I said, no, I'm right here. <laughs> and dad then explained to me what he meant by being lost. My religious heritage, and it may be yours as well, taught that we are all lost, that each one of us is separated and disconnected from God, and that there is a, a need for us, therefore, to be, re, be connected to God, but there's a sin problem. And until we deal with this sin problem, we will never be in relationship with God. And, and the image that I was given and the image that I gave for uh, about 20 years of my pastoral life was of a picture of God on one side, a ledge, people on another side standing on a ledge. And between God and people, there's this wide, deep chasm. And when I would draw this picture for kids, and it was drawn for me, I would put sin in that chasm. That separated God from me. And then I would draw a cross that would separate the two ledges. And only through the cross, Jesus dying on the cross, was that chasm bridged. So I was taught, and maybe you were too, that God really didn't like me very much. And he couldn't bear to be with me that I was lost from God, disconnected and separated from God. And we call that in that evangelical theology, original sin. And until I accepted Jesus, I would always be disconnected from God. Now, I do believe that children believe what we tell them they are. And if a child is told, you are separated from God, you are lost, you are disconnected from God, God is here and you are here, and God really wants nothing to do with you unless you accept Jesus, I think that does a number on a ch child. And I think that creates that doctrine of original sin, a cycle of guilt and shame. And we were taught that, and I was even taught that until I was seven, and even after I was baptized, and really the only reason I was baptized is because I'd been talked to about that in a Sunday school class and seen other people be baptized and learned that if I didn't get baptized, I'd go to hell. And so I was motivated really just based on fear. And even after that, that I was connected with God, there was, there was a continual message given to me as a teenager even. There is no good in you. The only good in you is what you have in Christ. So I, I even grew up as a teenager thinking, gosh, I'm just a dirt bag. 
there's nothing good in me at all. And we were told often that only time that God accepts us is if we're covered by the blood. And uh, Jesus doesn't, God really doesn't see us. He just sees the blood of, God, of Jesus and therefore accepts us. So there was really nothing good in us at all that would make God love us. And that does a number on a kid's self-esteem. So what we are committed to at the venues, kids' ministry, is a spiritual safety. We want our children to hear the message from us, and we really want to encourage the adults in those children's lives to hear the message that they are inherently good that there is an original blessing in Genesis 1 and 2 before you hear about sin in Genesis 3. That's too deep theologically for kids, but as adults, you get that. And we want to communicate to our kids that they are good, they have kindness, they have peace, they have caring, and they have goodness in them. And then we want to build that and help them live according to that potential because children become who they think they are. And who they think they are is determined by the message given to them by the adults in their lives. So we want kids to be spiritually, emotionally, and physically very, very safe. You are loved, you are valuable. And you are good. And in, in kids' venue, we open our arms and our hearts to all kids with all needs. We, we, we do our very best to accommodate and provide for all kids, whatever their needs may be. And we want the kids to have fun. Play is our brain's favorite way of learning. And we think kids learn best when they're having fun. We want their experience to be meaningful. We want the kids to experience their time here with us on Sunday morning to have a positive impact on their lives. We want them to leave this place knowing I am loved, I am valuable, I am good, and I can make a difference in this world. And when I feel good about myself, I value myself, I love myself, then I can love and I can value other people and I can serve them. And so service becomes a real part, integral part, of what it means to have a meaningful experience. Amy Crawford, our uh, leader for our kids' venue, says this about that. As a program, it's my desire to get our KV kids involved early, from hygiene and food drives to making cards for local nursing home residents I want to expose our KV kids at an early age to experience what it's like to love their neighbors. I'd love for the elementary schoolers to serve a meal as a class, visit with neighbors who don't get many visitors, or volunteer their time at an animal shelter. I'd love to show them an environment outside of their daily lives where they can spread their joy and show others that kids can. Hashtag love your neighbor too. And there's the family, Amy's family right there. That's what you will have when you put your kids in kids' venue. Luke records at the tail end of his story of the birth of Jesus, chapter 2, verse 52, 
And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature. That word stature is kind of better in our understanding, our culture, to be uh, interpreted, translated as maturity. And in favor with God and people. I don't know why they translated it favor. Because that means, uh, well, God could like him or God couldn't like him. You know, that's not what the word is. It's the word charis, which is the word grace. He grew in grace. He grew in how to live grace and to express grace, both in his relationship with God and in his relationship with people. Our goal with our kids is to help you, help them, grow up to have a grown-up faith, to mature in their faith. What that looks like to me is this. A grown-up faith does not see the world in black and white. A grown-up faith leaves room for mystery and paradox. A grown-up faith recognizes the inherent value and the good in all people, not just those in my tribe. People who go to other churches are good and valuable. People who don't go to church are good and valuable. Atheists are good and they're valuable. And they could do, do, they do, not just can do, they do do good things. But there's value in all of humanity, not just in my tribe. A grown-up faith engages the world beyond the walls of the church. A grown-up faith knows that God is present Sometimes inside the church, but all the time outside the church. Yeah. A grown-up faith discovers that Christians don't have the monopoly on truth. Grown-up faith recognizes that God reveals truth. God reveals herself to all people in all different kinds of ways. A grown-up faith is not tribal. A grown-up faith lives in an awareness that we are interconnected. We are connected to all people, all things. We are connected at birth throughout our life to God. It's our goal this year to increase our volunteer staff from 40 people to 50 people. That's not that much of an increase. And I would love for you to be a part of that increase. We want you to be a part of the volunteer group that will help children become the future. Gandhi said, if we are to teach real peace in this world and if we are to carry on a real war against war, we shall have to begin with the children. If we want to accomplish Jesus' mission of peace, I ask you to volunteer to be a part of that movement. We love and we honor and we celebrate heroes Mr. Rogers says, anyone who does anything to help a child is a hero to me. So I invite you. You are already a hero if you're an adult in a child's life. But I invite you to put on your superhero uh, costume, your outfit, your suit, and become a hero to some children. If you are an adult who lives with children who are involved in the lives of children, you can feel confident that the child in your care will be at KV in a safe, fun, and meaningful environment. Thank you for being part of this world as investing in children's lives. Let's pray. 
Father, I thank you so very much for the KV staff, for the adults in children's lives who are processing what it looks like to raise kids and to teach kids your love without some of the baggage that we, we carry from our own experiences. Help all of us, each one of us, to know that we are valuable, that we are loved, and that we are good. Help us to treat each other, recognizing the Christ in all. In his name I pray. Amen.